This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, brought to you by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. Orbition Group is delighted to bring this podcast series, which boasts some of the most high-profile data, analytics, and AI thought leaders from across the globe. Each episode details the journey to the top of our industry's most respected leadership figures, while bringing unique insights drawn from first-hand experience on the industry's most trending topics, told in order to share knowledge, experiences, and ideas to inspire, innovate, and give back to the global data and analytics community. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Amil Shapiro, who is the VP of Data and Insights at Echo. So Amil, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Very excited. Good, good. Well, the pleasure is all ours, as, as always. Um, I guess where we always start is by asking our guests to give themselves a, a brief introduction and, uh, I guess, you know, a bit about their background and, and journey to this point, if uh, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm Amiel. I, I've been working at Echo for a while. Maybe I'll tell a little bit about my history in the data space first. So I, like, my history with data really started in... Uh, in the Israeli Defense Force, uh, military service is mandatory in Israel, and I was always more of a good at math kid and not so much a, <laughs> you know, kind of a physical type. Uh, so I found myself in a special intelligence unit. Uh, obviously, I'm not really allowed to talk too much about the details, but. Um, you know, I, I went through quite a bit of training and basically did a lot of data science before long before the term was coined you know no one called it that at the time but we were really kind of diving into data writing code handling stuff so that that's kind of where the relationship started and after that i also like i in university i did a degree in statistics and operational research excited about that and Natural evolution moved into the tech industry, which is booming in Israel, not so much in, in data, but I was actually for, uh, first a software developer and evolved into becoming a product manager. Also formed a couple of my own not very successful uh, uh, endeavors and eventually moved on to be a product manager and a product leader at various places and joined Echo about eight and a half years ago, first of all, to lead the product team. Um, I was doing that for quite a while, about four years and change, and really, you know, got really deep into the ins and outs of everything we do at Echo uh, from the platform. Talk more about that soon. Uh, but um, at some point, we were we started focusing much more on marketing and especially uh, consumer acquisition, and I took on that activity. But up until then. The product team had been in charge of data, but it had been a very small subset. There was one person handling it, doing kind of everything. We were doing a great job of collecting it because we felt there was value there, but we didn't really do much with it. And when I was in marketing, I saw two things. One, I saw that the value of data is immense because you know we are sitting on a gold mine of really interesting things. We have very unique 
uh, data that we collect that no, no one else has access to and is really interesting. But on the flip side, in order to actually leverage that value, you need to, <laughs> you need people, you need to spend effort on it, you need to make that like a mission. Uh, so two and a half years ago, I, I launched the data and insights department with a purpose of really taking that data to the next level and becoming a very, very smart company in terms of what we know about what we do and help our partners leverage that and do great work. Yep. Yep. So a really obviously interesting background. Um, and I obviously, I know that you can't, um, share too much details around using data in the armed forces, but, um, maybe offline, I mean, that'd be, that'd be a great story, but, um, (laughs) but, um, tell us a little bit about echo as an organization then, because I'm sure there's some listeners here that, that are not familiar. Um, my research on you guys, I was, um, blown away by by what you guys are doing so really kind of interested to hear your you know h- how you summarize what you guys do yeah great so um echo is a tech startup that's built a platform for choice driven video content uh, what that means is we call it choice driven and not interactive because we believe that uh the power of choice is really key and and getting uh users to participate in the content they're consuming and having a sense of control and involvement is, is really key. And it's something that everyone expects, right? Everywhere else on, on the web, you make choices, you navigate, yet you're not like stuck with something static and still video has been kind of held back and, and hasn't evolved that way. So uh, our focus is on, on creating magical experiences in video where you choose things some call it like choose your own adventures that's one of the applications of it but obviously you can do much much more with that and we've been doing that in all kinds of verticals trying out all kinds of things and in the past couple of years have narrowed our focus a lot on e-commerce for for a few reasons one because we believe it's a really good way to prove the value of, of our platform and make it lucrative for both ourselves and our partners. And by bringing the human experience into e-commerce, we're doing something that no one else is doing and, and solving a really big problem. And, and a few examples of, of the things uh, you can do with our platform and that we're doing in e-commerce are like, uh, we've created uh, discovery engines, which are, you know, now you go into, a, you either search and find the product you're looking for, or you can use filters, which are a bit clunky and very, not very personal. What we've done with the discovery engines is it's a host-driven experience. You come in, there's a person, usually an expert in the space or someone that's trustworthy, gives you a, a good sense of, 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 you know, they know what they're talking about, be it tires, where we have like an expert on tires or paint finder, which helps you choose paint for your house. And which is, you know, a pretty complicated thing to do online. And you know, there's an interior designer. They t- they ask you all the right questions, but in like a human way that video enables. But also, you make the choices through that experience, and it all happens magically, seamlessly. The technology doesn't come through, right? We try to keep the technology, which is very complicated, behind the scenes, and you just feel that you're magically having almost a conversation in real time, making choices and getting to to good conclusions and. So our current focus is e-commerce, but we believe that once we prove it out there, we want to 
continue venturing into other verticals that we've either explored in the past or, you know, believe there's potential in education, entertainment, all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I was looking on your website, it kind of looked almost like Netflix, but you you design the story almost. Is that right. kind of a fair assumption? Yep. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think that that is, that is part of it. I think we've steered a little bit away of, of being the Netflix where people come, you know, I think understanding that building a new destination uh, for people to consume content is a, is a different challenge than we want to take on. We want to focus on being the enabler and find partners that, that want to own that. But yes, because we've created all kinds of content, it does, look a bit Netflixy so that you can yeah. go and see what everyone and definitely I you know it's worth saying echo.com it's worth going and checking out because as well as I can try to explain when you actually experience it it's something a bit different yeah absolutely um so to tie in the data and insights piece then obviously two and a half years ago you you launched that department um where where does that role sit within the organization and i guess what are you tasked with kind of achieving now given the point that that, that you're at how does that all tie together with what you're doing as a you know from a product platform perspective and, and then the data and insights team right so i um you know I'm, I'm on the leadership team i report to the person in charge of the platform department uh, which is the bigger chunk of the company uh, and my tasks are focused around a few key. First of all, you know, generally, my, the big picture task, the way I see it, is uh, making our, ourselves smart about everything that's happening on the platform so we can uh, leverage that both for ourselves and and our partners and customers. And so, that, like, it's the whole kind of chain. I, I, I am in charge of both, like, the data, the infrastructure of it, the pipelines, all the analytics activities and gleaning insights from that. And I also have a research team, you know, focused on consumer research, focus groups, interviews, and really kind of, you know, doing a lot of early stage learning for the most part, that then we can, you know, before we have data, we, we want to already start knowing stuff. So how do we start the, the chain of learning there and how do we evolve it over time? Mm-hmm. And then also, uh, do case studies to prove out the success in certain areas. And there's also a small uh, element of product management in building data products for our partners, right? We, our main product is the platform itself, the ability to create uh, choice-driven experiences, but we also want to provide this data in all kinds of ways to our partners, whether it's dashboards or much more complicated stuff. Yeah, makes sense. So in the main, are you dealing with, is it mainly B2B? So you're working with partners to to help them drive their customers to to this kind of choice-driven experience or is there a B2C market for you, for you as well? So so we've we've narrowed it down to be like a B2B2C. Right, yeah. Um, to, to your point, we, yeah, we sell to the partners and work with them that are businesses because we have, you know, we've we've gained the most experience than anyone in creating experiences on our platform. We have a really strong creative team and a lot of experience with that. We're generally very involved at this point 
in the to see part of it as well, right? Yep. We we help with optimization. We we figure it out. We we stay involved. Our goal is obviously to as we grow to step away from that and make it more of a SaaS solution. But right now, you know, there's a, there's a balance. It depends on the partner. It depends on their capabilities, and we we want to help them succeed. Yep. Yep. No, that makes perfect sense. So you touched there upon being, you know, a creative organization, right? And um, mm-hmm. I guess given w- what you do absolutely makes makes perfect sense. Talk us through that journey, because I know when we initially spoke about bringing you into the, the podcast fold, you mentioned about that kind of transition and journey that Echo had gone on from being a creative-driven organization to trying to be results-driven through the use of data and analytics and insights. So, so talk us through how that's kind of unfolded over the last few years. Yeah, definitely. So maybe, you know, starting a bit from the beginning, the company was founded by uh, a little, you know, a lot of people use the term rock star in, <laughs> in the tech industry, but the, like our CEO is literally a, a rock star in Israel, Yoni Block. He's, he's a famous singer. And he, <laughs> he and a few of his bandmates um, wanted to make a music video where, you know, they had this idea that if you get the users to listen a few times to the song, it sticks in their head and it can become a hit, right? So uh, how do you get people to view something a few times? You let them kind of choose uh, different things within the, the music video, and then it becomes a bit of a FOMO activity, and they go back and watch it again, uh, which is a great idea. And they were like, oh, okay, let's find a platform where you can do it. Turned out there wasn't one. Um, and being um, um, at least... You know, a lot of musicians in Israel are, uh, it's not such a huge industry. So a lot of them are also uh, various types of geeks. And these guys were especially, uh, you know, really good tech people as well as being good musicians, uh, set out to build it on their own. And then when it started working, you know, saw the value of it and evolved it into being this company, which which is, you know, doing great stuff, partnering with Walmart and all kinds of other top brands in the world. So. That's really exciting, but but you know the the DNA is this creative uh, desire to do creative things in a new way, and a lot of the people that were brought on first, there were a lot of creative brought on from the video space and people who are really brilliant and at thinking about uh, nonlinear storytelling and doing great stuff. Um, even the the tech team, which is you know there's amazing developers on the team, a lot of them are. Even you know, even myself, a lot of us are musicians. I actually I met our CEO uh, at some kind of event. We became friendly, and I played him my band's album. I had a band in Tel Aviv as well, and he was like, "That's cool, but doesn't sound like uh, very lucrative." I'm sure you have a day job. <laughs> <laughs> and when I told him what I do, he was like, "Oh, well, you, you know, you're a musician and a product person. You should come join our company." And that's kind of how I. I got here in the first place. So a lot of really, you know, strong um, creative uh, energy at the company. But then due to that, we weren't always uh, very results driven. A lot of the uh, how you do things was kind of came from film production. You have a project it starts and finishes and then you're done. You release it in the world and that's it. And 
And obviously, you know, uh, in the digital space, optimization is where everything's at. And, and measuring your results and executing on them and improving them over time, that's kind of how you grow the business and become very successful. Um, so I think there was kind of maybe a desire to do that, but a huge kind of bewilderment, if you will, <laughs> in terms of how do we uh, how do we close that gap? And when I kicked off the data and insights team, part of the challenge was to really um, get people on board with this idea of being results driven and and believing that it's doable. So we had to, you know, I think I had a lot of uh, advantage coming in after being in in product. I really knew a lot about how how the process works, how uh, our content is created. And also, you know, I have a fairly good understanding of like what it is to do creative work, but then finding areas where you can um, show value in iteration or plan the production ahead so that you're allowing for optimization over time. And, and by gradually showing more and more value to the creative teams and other people, started seeing how we could uh, do things a bit differently, right? So we like we released a kind of a, let's call it a teenager comedy, okay? Choice-driven teenager comedy, really fun about high school, something, uh, don't go into all the stories. And we saw that like uh, testing in the focus groups, we saw that there was a bit of a challenge with people getting into the first episode. So we said, let's let's work together with you, solve it, right? Let's really see what we can do, how we can tweak the experience in all kinds of ways and, and see how we increase the completion rate of this episode in a really big way. And, you know, all kinds of opportunities like that, finding the right partners at the company that are open to, to trying new things and want to succeed. I think that was like really important. And a lot of legwork, I think it's really interesting to see, right? We started off with basically myself and the guy on the product team. Um, who had been in charge of it. And we were kind of going around and trying to get people interested at first <laughs> to a place where we're now like, you know, we're a team of nine and we're really overworked and constantly growing and, and really, you know, very popular, yep. <laughs> which is, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. See, so what the, the, the way you just kind of told that story, Amil is, so interesting to me because across the spectrum right unless you are a a, a business that's business is data if that makes sense mm-hmm. every journey starts at that point right then they know that there's value in it they know that they should yeah. be doing it there's there's probably some kind of appetite to to do it but ultimately there's a big gap to be bridged in terms yeah. of how do we actually get from A to B to, to get that. And then obviously the whole cultural piece, which you started to speak around, you know, proving value so that you can get people to yeah. buy into actually that this works, it's going to make us better. Um, how, how did that kind of journey unfold with respect to the cultural piece? Because the thing that I see in a lot of the conversations we have on this podcast in terms of the value realization of data and analytics initiatives within organizations often hit a bit of a brick wall when it comes to adoption from the the wider yeah. business right and, and getting that buy-in um how did that kind of cultural piece un, unfold for you 
So I think first and foremost, it's important to understand that as a data leader, it's your responsibility to drive the culture that way. Because, you know, I think a lot of people are like, well, you know, everyone should be looking at data. Why aren't they interested? No, so we, we, we flipped that around and said, okay, it's on us to get them interested. So one, you know, really finding the right people that have some interest, partnering with them and kind of helping them out and proving value alongside them was really helpful. Another piece was we leveraged some of these, especially on the creative team, who are great storytellers to help us kind of um, reconsider how we, you know, a lot of our, we focused a lot on communication, which is something that doesn't necessarily come natural to a lot of data people like kind of sitting in their room and analyzing it and think that that's enough. But we, we, we spent really, you know, I would say I spent personally about half my time on talking about it, creating uh, presentations, uh, going to meetings and talking about it, creating, uh, we eventually created a, an internal blog where we post insights and explain how we got there. So we did a lot of that. And we also, you know, as I started saying, um, got help from our storytelling colleagues to craft the stories better, to make them more compelling, to focus on what people want to hear. And we really spend a lot of time there, a lot of time listening to feedback, and then just, you know, talking about it as much as we could and and showing more and more areas where this could be valuable, where this, where we had success, all of that, just, you know, it was on us. I, I really feel that that was like a, a key thing, taking that and and spending the the effort and the resources. That's like, it's a big part of the job and, and any job, if you want to do it well, you need to spend the resources on it. Yeah, absolutely agree. I mean, I think that piece there that you talked around getting support from your internal creative function. I mean, I think that shows a great deal of humility in the first place, right? Because I think often many data leaders are kind of, you know, that they they don't understand why this just isn't obvious to everybody, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and I've had, you know, chief data officers for some, you know, global multinational organizations talk to me on the podcast around how they went about trying to create that culture within the organization. Yeah. And communication is often the thing that gets spoken about, but often forgotten, you know? So I've had people come yeah, on and yeah. say, we we dedicated an entire budget to comms in terms of internal podcasts, internal blogs, telling stories uh, and all of that type of stuff. And I guess it's interesting because there's probably a lot of people listening to this podcast thinking, well, that's great for our meal, but he works in a creative driven business yeah. and therefore he's going to have a load of help telling stories. But I mean, across ev any organization has some kind of marketing or creative function to it, yeah. right? So where, where yeah, people can sure. go and go and ask for some support on how does this look? How does this sound? Which is all really interesting. I yeah. guess you talked about identifying people that had an appetite for it, that you could work yeah. with to prove value. And I guess, you know, use them as a bit of a use case and a success story and, and all that makes sense. How did you go about identifying who those people were in the first place? Well, first of all, we're not such a big company. We're now yeah. reaching the hundred and a bit mark. We were a bit smaller still then and you know i'd been at the company for a while pretty much knew everyone as well as like you know was very close with the leaders as well but 
I guess part of it was, you know, there was a, a young producer who was working on the show and really wanted it to succeed. And, and she'd already seen, she, you know, she'd shown it to her friends and family and had already seen that there was something wrong there. So like, you know, that, that was kind of an easy target. I was kind of friendly with her from happy hour. Right. But I was like, okay, let's, <laughs> let's, let's work together and let's, let's solve this. Uh, let's, we can do this. We can make it better. And she was like, yeah, you know, what, what have I got to lose? Uh, so, so kind of finding people that, that, that are ambitious and are trying to do stuff. Usually there's probably value you can bring them, but you know, if you're, so that's, that's one area. And then I think, you know, other people more in more leadership positions were like, um, you know, they felt a lot of them felt that there was a need. So kind of having conversations with them, listening to why they think it's important, what they believe the vision of this could be and how it could play out in the future. And then tapping into that. And I think, you know, to your point around uh, not every company has a, such a strong creative department like we did, but like in the end we had a, because of that, we also had a very high bar that we needed to conquer. Mm -hmm. You need to, as, as long as you're partnering with your stakeholders, if you're humble enough to ask, does this make sense? Do you understand what we're seeing here? Does this help you solve your problem? Then great. And if not, you need to present the thing differently, right? We're data people. We see a chart and we kind of get it. But how do, how do you make sure that that's actually helping people make decisions and do their work better? Mm -hmm. Out of interest, was was the the appetite within the organization, and I appreciate it's a smaller organization, so it's easier to get a, a handle on this type of stuff, but was was the appetite to be more results driven and therefore, you know, work towards evidence-based decisions through data analytics and insight? Was that from the top down? Did that come, you know, for a, right from the CEO to be saying like, yeah, look, I, I see, I see the importance, but I just don't understand how we're going to do it. Or, or, or was it a case of you had to kind of, you know, dangle a few carrots to kind of get the interest? It was a little bit of both. I think a lot of people had like this gut feeling that we should be results driven, but, but it was always hard to choose the KPIs and, and commit to them. And like, oh, in the end, like you see, a great experience that really works creatively that's often like the the winning thing and no one necessarily cares about how it's measured so um everyone wanted to succeed right everyone wanted uh results but but not really weren't necessarily measurement driven so i think um kind of tapping into that and working with people and kind of identifying kpis was a really good thing and Obviously, you know, there are different forces. There are people more on like the marketing side that are more easy to kind of convince. So that was uh, that was very helpful. But, so, you know, it's, a, it's kind of a balancing act. And when people start seeing how it's working, they're usually uh, more prone to, to jump on. I will say, you know, that, you know, we did have another thing that was uh, working in our favor, which is the Walmart relationship. And while, you know, our, so we have a really big and significant partnership with Walmart, who's, I think, the biggest retailer in the world. Um, and they are, and they obviously wanted to partner with us because of our creative capabilities and how our tech enables that kind of human element that they didn't have. 
But when you start working with a company like that, you kind of have to be results driven. Even though, you know, I don't know that there necessarily was a direct push for it from them. But in order to prove your value over time, you have to find ways to measure and and show results. And I think as we were narrowing our focus on e-commerce more and more, it's clearly a results-driven space. Yep. And and just having the amazing tech for creative purposes isn't enough. You have to show value. So I think you know that kind of was a good kind of backing wind to help us while we were making the effort. And and once it started becoming more of a thing, we were already ready to to charge. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, that makes perfect sense, right? Because data and analytics initiatives only exist to serve a purpose, right? Which normally is some yeah. way, shape or form results in more money on the bottom line some some way or, or another, yeah. you know, whether that's just increasing sales revenues, entering new markets, new products, reducing cost, operational efficiencies, whatever the case may be, that, that's why we're yeah. doing them. Um, even if it's a case of you know improving customer experience, well, that's because yeah. you want them to buy more, right? So yeah, yeah, um, it, 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 all, all of that makes makes sense. Yeah. So for people that are not wholly familiar with Echo and what you like, what you guys do, when Walmart came to you, because I know obviously that's a case study that, that you you guys are really proud of and very rightly so. What was the you know what what was the profile of what they were after from you? I think that in reality, uh, they didn't really know, to be completely honest. And we <laughs> didn't really That sounds know. familiar. I think, yeah. I think we felt like there was like um, Walmart um, is an amazing, huge company, you know, depending on how you count, but like it's, they have over 2 million employees. Uh, if you, you know, if you look at the big picture, which, you know, this, these are numbers that are hard to, understand and they have been uh but but you know they're not blind to the fact that uh retail like in the real world is having a hard time these days and that's before the pandemic right so so they they've been spending a lot of effort uh, in the digital space and doing great work there you know they've become very successful they acquired jet.com back in the day and like they they really spent a lot on uh on becoming a strong player in e-commerce and i think they they felt that there was something about this human element that we bring that is a good fit for what they're trying to do i don't think they really understood what exactly it looks like but they were like this company there's something here that they're gonna solve for us let's bring them on and we were excited for a lot of reasons, both because we like challenges and obviously partnering with a company like Walmart is exciting. Yep. And, you know, getting to know them, um, getting to know the people there, the merchants and how, like they're, they're really experts in creating amazing uh, customer experiences in the real world. They know so much about what drives people to buy, but also what drives people to come back to the store and have a good time there and have a fun shopping experience that answers a lot of their needs. They're just really good at that. And so, you know, we we started getting excited about, this is great. Now, what we can do is bring that to the online world because mm-hmm. 
Because for every everywhere else, it's like it's all very transactional. You come in, you choose your product, you buy it, it comes to your door. That's it. That's great for for you know half of the uh, online commerce reasons, right? Most of the time, half the time, you know what you want, and that's fine. But people also like shopping. They like going to the store and looking at stuff and maybe buying something to feel like the, the you know, it's theirs. And how do you do that online? So that's really where we've uh, we've been focusing and and we're seeing like a lot of really interesting value that we can bring there. And obviously the pandemic, I think, was very interesting. You know, everyone saw the e-commerce boom during the pandemic. But specifically, I think part of the value that we can bring that people not only want to buy stuff and and they can't leave the house and they just want uh, the stuff they buy to come to their doorstep. They also actually are missing human connections and an experience that feels more lifelike. And a lot of those things we can do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's really interesting. And as you're talking there now, I'm, I'm the, the, you know, wheels the co- the cogs are turning into my head and i'm starting to understand your role within that that kind of story with with the use case of of walmart because as you rightly said obviously the pandemic for for all of the damage it caused you know it's it's expedited that shift to that yeah. kind of digital world and consumer behavior has ultimately changed forever right but yeah, um definitely. am i going to sit on amazon and scroll through it's millions of products to see what I fancy buying. Probably not, right? So you're basically there saying you want to try and create that in-store experience online. So you kind of, it's back to that choice thing, right? Rather than just having to search in, you know, I'm looking for a, I don't know, a pair of sweatpants or whatever the case may be. Right. Yeah. Perfect. Got it. Got it. Okay, cool. Um, So what does that actually mean then day to day? Because I guess that sounds fantastic as a big picture project for the business but for you and your insights and data team what what type of stuff are you doing day to day to kind of deliver on that that project so great question so so day to day first of all we like all all the analysts are assigned to most of the analysts are assigned to like specific experiences we have on our team experience people who are managing the experience from a, like a product perspective and optimization. Uh, we, we assign an analyst to work with them end to end, which means first and foremost, focusing on optimizing the experience and making it as, as effective as it can be in whatever it needs to do, which is generally first and foremost, driving engagement and getting people to come in and, and make choices and participate and spend time there and have a, fulfilling experience, but also uh, convert people to then uh, go ahead and shop or really buy stuff. Uh, So that's a key element. And those analysts are also focused on, uh, they also support the marketing team that's working on it. They support the the customer side, like reporting to them and talking them through how how we're driving results and where there's room for doing better. So that's one key element. We do, we regularly do research, as I mentioned. So both kind of finding, you know, let's say we've decided we actually have uh, launching a, a coffee maker 
this decision engine, discovery engine that helps you kind of uh, go through different coffee makers and choose the one that is the best fit for you. So, you know, talking to, you know, coffee, everyone drinks coffee. So that's kind of an easier one, but like talking to the right people that might be in the market for, for a certain product, what will drive their decision? How will they know if they've, uh, if they've come across the product that they're looking for? Uh, what type of uh, ways do you want to kind of explore it? What do they want to see? What features do they want to see in this experience, right? We can show them everything. We can show them how, how uh, kind of, you know, how good it is at uh, saving energy. Do they care about that? Is that, that a thing? So kind of exploring it early on and getting a sense of how to even go about it. And then uh, also from that, developing questions that we will want to look at when the data comes in and we can analyze or plan ahead for, optimization opportunities so we can do a b tests based on things we weren't sure about from the early focus groups and you know be ready to to cash in on that once once the experience is in the air yep yep that makes perfect sense so there's there's is there a big element of personalization around that kind of choice driven um avenue if, if you want to call it that is is that a big focus yeah definitely i think i would say you know the whole choice driven is is in and of itself, a form of personalization, right? Yeah. You're personalizing on the go. What, what I think what what's cool about it is like it doesn't even feel that way, right? It's you're not you're not thinking about oh I can personalize my experience. You're just there, but it is by nature personalizing whatever outcome you're looking for, mm. and also and that's also in a way part of the magic from the data perspective because that way. We're collecting all your choices, so we're learning about all your preferences. And at scale, that means that we know all kinds of really, really interesting stuff about uh, which preferences correlate with which uh, purchase choices, things like that. I'll just give you an example. We did, uh, you know, these interactive uh, food shows. Uh, we partnered with Tasty back in the day. Uh, so these quick. Uh, cooking videos but they, like you make choices and we did quite a bit of analysis on on choices made so one specific one there was a pasta you could make right and people could choose whether they wanted to make uh, spaghetti or gnocchi and then they could choose whether they would uh, use tomato sauce sauce or pesto and there were a few other choices but what we saw that was really interesting most people obviously choose spaghetti and tomato sauce right but it was really interesting to see that the people who choose gnocchi are also much more likely to choose pesto because generally they're more like the explorer type. Mm. So you can identify within this like under one minute experience, a kind of profile of, uh, of, yep. of food choices of this person and preferences and openness to stuff. And that opens up so many real time opportunities for for targeting and and stuff like you know this what we call zero party data is like something that doesn't exist anywhere else mm -hmm. yeah does that translate across the the spectrum you know and, and i appreciate that it doesn't work as seamlessly as this I'm, I'm i'm sure or as simplistically but you know if you're talking about okay someone because you know you profile someone as they're the explorer type based on the facts of the food choices that they've made does that then relate across you know i don't know into clothing for example or, or or has it not gone that far yet really 
I can't I can't pretend to to, <laughs> uh, to have a full answer to that. I yeah. I think we have you know we've seen some interesting patterns in that sense, but I can't I won't pretend to kind of see a couple of choices of a person and know everything that's going on in their mind. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, so obviously Walmart, the, the 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 use case that we've spoken about today, what and I appreciate you can't probably share exact details, but from a results perspective um you know what what's been the what's been the key achievements as far as that relationship and what that's meant for for walmart so there's i would say there's a few really interesting things we've seen in terms of results one is on our try and buy products uh, which is um basically on the product page itself we've enabled an interactive uh experience like it's a video that you can instead of just uh, looking at the pictures like most product pages have or a linear video that walks you through it, it's a real experience where you choose what you want to look at, which features you want to see, which options you want to see, and you play around with it in, in real time, which is you know, obviously the beauty of, of this thing. So we've seen that our experiences drive 40% more add to carts than visits that have viewed linear videos. Wow. That's like huge obviously um that's really exciting so that's you know a specific uh success use case we've seen um paint finder that i mentioned before which is uh you know let's be serious it's very hard to get people to buy paint online Mm -hmm. right you're like it's so many hurdles you have to cross so this is more of a helping you think about uh paint and how you might paint um, and also I think getting people in this case, more and more familiar with the fact that you can buy paint at Walmart. Um, but what we saw that was really, uh, uh, I'm kind of mind blown by it. We have what we call shop intent, which is one level above a click through. It's not an add to cart, but it's like at the end of the experience, uh, it's like buy now, right. Or shop now, depending on we toy around with the, uh, calls to action, obviously, but um, the idea there is that, like, this is one. You know, it's very clear that you're clicking through to a shopping experience now. You're, you're going to buy. You're kind of committing to it. So it's a really powerful statement. And if generally in the world people are talking about like uh, one two percent click through on an ad is like considered very very high. So. Uh, you know, here you actually, you really know that you're going shopping. We got on Paint Finder, which isn't even our highest performer, we got 20% shop intent on on the Paint Finder video. So it's like people, oh. we really got people to say, okay, I might go and buy paint online, or I at least want to go and browse the catalog now that I've spent some time thinking about this. Mm. And like, it takes you to the colors you've chosen, it's a really, by the way, it's a really beautiful experience. I highly recommend checking out because it changes the, the colors in the room in real time. And it's all very, very fun. Mm. Um, but so, so those are really powerful results that we've seen. Um, yeah, we've also seen, you know, obviously we are bread and butter in a way is the high engagement rates and the time spent. But like, you know, we've seen that continue we've been able to continue that keep it high and exciting yep 
Nice. Well, I'll definitely keep my wife away from the paint finder thing because I'll probably, <laughs> co- probably come home to a, a wholly new redecorated house at some point soon. Um, so, I mean, look, it's, be, it's been a fascinating conversation. Um, before we let you go, a couple of last things. What does the future of e-commerce look like in your opinion? So that's a good question. But um, we're definitely seeing a lot of uh, companies venturing into more direct uh, connection with with consumers. A lot of like uh, influencer activities on social platforms and a lot of uh, live video stuff like that. So definitely, I think we're going to see more and more attempts to to create shopping experiences rather than just transaction. And I think, um, you know, we're going to play a, an important role there. We have like a, a great technology. So we're enabling all this choice-driven, connecting the, the casual browsing and fun to then uh, going ahead and buying in a way that people actually want it and don't feel like it's intrusive, but rather more of a holistic thing. So I think we're going to see a lot of, of that, a lot of uh, kind of more experiential, uh, more exciting stuff. Obviously, you know, e-commerce is going to continue growing. I think we're going to, yeah, yeah. What happened in the pandemic was a leap forward, but it's just going to continue to become a really significant piece of the world. And I think especially once the human element and the experiential part of it is is properly solved, and we want to, you know, take a, big piece of that i think that will really help jump things forward i would say one 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 additional thing obviously data um is you know is a key element of all of that right and i think uh obviously collecting data around funnels and optimizing them is a really big part of it a lot of people are talking about ai and how you you know <laughs> recommend i think that's like you know obviously it, I think like a lot of uh, data people, it's not my favorite buzzword because it does feel kind of overused in all kinds of ways. But I do think that the right experiences can leverage and we're dab, you know, dip, dipping our toes into this kind of idea, how you can take all the interesting things, preferences you've collected and turn them then automatically into an experience, kind of change your experience on the fly based on data you've collected. So that's kind of, I think, something that we're going to see in other places as well, but we're definitely exploring that area. Nice, nice. Well, look, thank you so much for your time. We've, uh, it's been a, a, a very insightful conversation um, and, yeah, lo- loved every second, I guess. How can people reach you? If there's anyone listening to this thinking our business needs to get in, you know, get, get in and have a conversation with these guys to see how they could, they can help us out. What's the best way for them to, to reach you? So first of all, uh, my email is a great solution. I'm Amiel, A-M-I-E-L at echo.com, E-K-O.com. Uh, and if you write podcasts or something in the subject, because emails these days are not always my favorite <laughs> <laughs> form of communication. So, you know, I'll, I'll know to kind of pay attention. And I'm available on LinkedIn. I don't think there are that many Amiels out there. So yep. Amiel Shapiro on LinkedIn. Perfect. Well, Amiel, thank you very much for your time. It's been, a, been an absolute pleasure. And um, yeah, we look forward to seeing how the future journey unfolds for Echo. 
Thank you very, very much. It was no great problem. for me as well. Speak soon. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week. Yeah.